0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 109. I'm Kip Clark.
1: And I'm Caroline Borders.
0: And today, Caroline, you brought a really interesting article that we're reacting to about how we get our news. And specifically, the article is titled, How Do You Get Your News? Which I find very linguistically interesting because on some level that question presumes that people will get their news. And I know a number of people, myself occasionally included, who voluntarily avoid the news because it's often, and intentionally so, very somber, very saddening, disheartening, and can frequently have the effect of ruining or dashing your hopes. So I think it is interesting that this article asks that question and also that we're getting this article from a news source like the New York Times.
1: It also demonstrates that we get our news in very individualistic ways, which I think is something new. I think, as we'll discuss in this episode, the way individuals receive their news is often very agential and is how they personally like to get their news and is less of a communal experience than it used to be, which will be interesting to discuss.
0: I completely agree. So on a more formal level, where would you like to begin this conversation?
1: So in recent years, many different forms of social media, different outlets on the internet have started providing access to the news, which is different from what we've had in the past, which is a focus on television or the radio for our news, which I think older generations still use to receive their baseline fundamental news stories. And I think our generation that doesn't really sit around watching TV doesn't really sit around and listen to the radio. And, you know, I have this image in my head of the family in the living room in the 1950s gathered around the radio set and listening in to whatever news, whatever broadcast was on that evening. And we don't do that at all anymore. I think maybe in the car, if we're with our families or friends, we'll turn on the news. But oftentimes, more than ever, we listen to music. We listen to podcasts like this one. It's very interesting to me that we still crave that communal experience surrounding current events because I think we'll read an article and be like, oh, did you read this? Did you hear about this? But we didn't hear it with that person. We didn't experience getting that news with that person. And I'm thinking now of an event like 9 11, for which I think the news of that event, that crisis, was received in massive groups of people and that experience was felt simultaneously. Whereas I heard about the Paris attacks through a friend. Did you hear what happened in Paris? Or did you hear what Donald Trump said last night at the debate? Rather than us all sitting around and listening to the broadcast and feeling that experience as a group. And I think that's a change. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well.
0: Well, I'm thrilled that you refer to communal experiences associated with watching or listening to the news in groups. As may be obvious to older listeners, I think honest discussion of our world and its various events and intricacies is essential to healthy relationships and understanding of others. And for that reason, I'm also glad that you referenced 9-11 and Donald Trump, because as an event and a public figure, both have caused a great deal of distress and fear for a lot of individuals. And increasingly, I see people less willing to discuss tragedies frightening, insensitive, or horrifying remarks because of the sensitivity they generate. And I admit that broaching those topics is not easy, but as you mentioned communal listening, I think it provides an excellent foundation for empathy and discussion because groups of people share the consumption of new information or perspectives together. And I think that we have to be aware that there are very intricate relationships between people and the media that they consume, which is of course compiled and arranged in a certain way by those who broadcast and produce the media. And you and I are included in that in creating a podcast and deciding how we want to word certain things and how we want to edit some of the information that we put forth. And to come back to your idea of communal consumption I wonder if we invite more nuanced perspectives in listening or consuming media separately and hopefully coming together for a conversation. But not everyone does discuss the news that they consume. And I often find that to be very risky because if you read a story and you can bounce around thoughts with yourself in your mind, You only really have one perspective, and there's a huge danger there because you cannot always, and in fact, maybe we could never, account fully for the biases we have in what we perceive from news stories. And you'd like to think that news is objective, but I would challenge anyone listening to remember that certain people want you to get that information for certain reasons, and it's always subjective. Whether you believe in an Orwellian vision that the media is out to get you and they're trying to keep you down or you think that there are simply psychological cravings that certain aspects of media fulfill and keep you coming back to, there are motives behind the stories that we read that don't always encourage us to think, but rather to feel. And it's one aspect of this article that I really appreciated because it does invite conversations like you and I are currently having But I would also say, in response to the article discussing previous generations, that I, for one, still pick up a newspaper every once in a while or read an article in a magazine. And so I don't think it is as cut and dry as a technological progress and climb to greater and more interactive forms of media, because that isn't always the case, and I'm sure you've witnessed the same thing. And furthermore, members of older generations, like our parents, Are purchasing smartphones and other newer technologies that they are also learning to use along with younger generations. So I would caution anyone thinking about it in this way to avoid this reductive narrative that younger generations are the only ones picking up new forms of media.
1: Exactly. And I don't mean to essentialize in that way. However, if I'm to play devil's advocate here for a second, as someone who really does value getting off the internet and engaging with people on a face-to-face basis. I mean, I personally don't really like to text message like many of my peers do. However, a week ago, I considered deleting my Facebook and since then have just deleted the app on my phone so that I'm not looking at my newsfeed nearly as much as I used to, which is something so easy to just go and flip through very absent-mindedly. But there were a few main reasons why I didn't delete my Facebook. One was that I have a lot of friends from different parts of the world and I want to keep in touch with them. That's a common reason to have a Facebook. Another was that I wanted to be able to promote the podcast. And the last was I like being able to have instant access to the news, which is really fascinating, I think, because on Facebook, there is a trending feed on the right-hand bar and it basically shows top stories that are trending. It could be the Paris attacks. It could be Britney Spears' new hairstyle. I mean, it literally could be anything. So some has, for me, more value than others. That being said, I don't really use Twitter, which is another huge source for news for many people. And Pew Research, which is referenced in this article, says that people are more likely to find out about news on Twitter and then respond to it and share it on Facebook. They both function in a similar way, though. And it was so astounding to me that I literally was like, how am I going to find out about news if I don't have Facebook? And I think that's a pretty common feeling among a lot of people in our generation who are on Facebook a lot. And while interacting with their Facebook friends or exchanging messages, promoting events, they also are consuming journalism, which is a huge shift. Another thing I noticed among our generation and among some of my friends is that reading the newspaper is this kind of novel, cool thing. Like, oh, I don't want to do my homework. I just want to sit here and read the newspaper, you know? And I've found that with a few different people. And that's interesting in and of itself because my dad just eats breakfast and reads the paper and it's part of his daily routine. It's almost like reading a concrete newspaper, like reading for pleasure in college has become sort of unique or quirky.
0: And I really like your phrasing of a concrete newspaper because tangibility ties into my theory that the way we consume news and media in general is essentially linked to our psychological perception of our world. And Facebook presents an interesting example because, as you said, information from our friends around the world or around the country is intermingled with news stories from various journalistic sites and sources. And to me, it's interesting because at a certain point, that line blurs and you'll have certain friends who share from various sources more often than others, or the algorithm will correct itself to gradually narrow your focus as a Facebook user. And at a certain point, the news you're getting, which was never objective in the first place, is now even more focused in. Exactly. And I would point to Greg Mara, who's 26 years old and is a Facebook engineer, who was mentioned in this article because the algorithm that he and his team developed on Facebook is one of the reasons that people like you and I read what the New York Times had to say about news sources in the first place. And it's rather unfortunate to think that we can't control how the media shares certain stories. And we also can't control how the algorithms on Facebook and other social media sites dictate what information will or will not get through to us. And I feel like the conveniences that many individuals in our generation enjoy, although not all of us because we do not all share the same privileges, have made us lazy. And we don't want to do a number of hard things, especially when it comes to browsing the web, which for many of us is leisurely and a source of entertainment. And I worry that becomes increasingly dangerous when news is funneled into you and filtered through various sites that you use rather than becoming an active experience. Because when you're given news, to a certain extent, your reactions can be predicted and your response can be predicted. And sites like Facebook know how you're going to share, with whom you're going to share. And at a certain point, journalism and articles become crafted for that sharing. Because as we should all remember, it's a business. And journalistic sites have advertisers and need to get paid. And one main method of doing so is having more eyeballs see your content or more ears listen to your content. And that gives rise to sites like BuzzFeed, where articles are very quick to read and have very catching, intriguing, mystifying headlines that grab users. And it's something that needs to be considered.
1: And also a lot of headlines that are about what you as a reader identify with. Like, 26 things only people with cats will understand. And that is smart because it draws the reader in like, oh, I have a cat, so I'll get this. And then maybe someone without a cat will be like, oh, what am I missing out on? And BuzzFeed would be a really interesting conversation in and of itself because it is so popular but weird at the same time.
0: And with that example of those types of articles, you create in groups and out groups or just groups in general on social media that tend to self-identify and exclude others or won't read articles that they don't feel pertain to them. And as a humanist, I often feel any news article could be and should be of value to you on some level because it is, however subjectively so, new information.
1: And to be self-critical for a second, I think what all these sites are trying to do is create the individual. And it is true that even if our generation is getting its news from the internet versus the radio or television, we're still getting it in so many different ways. I mean, yes, my main source of news is probably Facebook at this point, but I kind of try to step back from that because I know it's curated in a way to appeal to me and appeal to other people in my circle of friends, because I think how the trending feed works is it's what's trending among your friends, which puts me in a box to some extent. So then I start thinking, oh, I want to go read op-eds on the New York Times, or I'm going to go to Slate and see what's there. But even then, I struggle to find news sources that I really would consider completely unbiased. And I used to receive The Economist in the mail, but I noticed after a while I wouldn't read it. I didn't have time to read it. And that's unfortunate. But at the same time, just because The Economist is a credible news source doesn't make it unbiased. But I think more and more journalism is being treated on a corporate commercial level, and therefore it has to cater to individuals. And in that way, individuals are going to consume news differently.
0: And to clarify, as you're saying, it's becoming more corporate, but news has always been a business, and like any business, seeking to make money. And I'm reminded of a great quotation, which, loosely paraphrased, says, individuals alone can be intelligent, but masses are stupid. And I think that's important to consider, not to say that all masses of people lack intelligence, but when you have a mob of sorts voting with their wallets and their attention spans, On what should be read and should be consumed, you'll often have lowest common denominators of attention dictating how news will operate. And that worries me because certain articles or pieces of information that do require more introspection or deep contemplation, or as we're now going to get to, discussion, will necessarily require more time that the busy modern individual, which in and of itself is a problematic term, may not have.
1: These websites that provide kind of rapid fire news headlines, they know that. And they also know that their consumer likes the idea of feeling well informed, maybe when they're totally not. And they've just read a news brief and that's it. And that's effective.
0: I agree, it's somewhat reminiscent of having a media diet, so to speak, of candy. You might enjoy the experience of consuming, but you may not feel full, and they're very aware of that as a business, but their intent is to get you to consume that information, not necessarily to digest anything, because that isn't their responsibility as a company. Bridging over to the idea of discussing the news, which you had brought up earlier, A number of commenters on this article on the New York Times website had some interesting things to say. A user by the name of Joshua said, I get all of my news from the internet. I usually read news on Facebook. I usually decide if I trust it by the amount of stuff they have to back it up or if it sounds at all plausible, which I find very interesting because that is a very vague and subjective thing to say. What's plausible to you may not sound plausible to me. I could discard the same source that Joshua read, whereas he might use it as foundation for later discussion. Another user said, In addition to following the newspapers, I have both the New York Times and the New York Post on my phone. My family does not subscribe to newspapers, but the Post's app is free and you can read unlimited articles and the Times gives me 10 articles a month for free. While I read the news quite often, I also watch the news every morning before getting out of bed. In addition to that morning news, I occasionally watch CNN and Fox News during the day too. The person that I talk to the most about the news is my dad, because he too is interested by current events. And to provide an anecdotal connection, my father and I will often discuss the news, and some episodes of this show have actually been prompted by articles that my father and I have discussed which I find very interesting because you also mentioned your father's daily routine in eating breakfast while reading the news. And I wonder if on some level people have gendered and also intellectualized the news, because I do think as a culture, we have very much gendered women or the stereotype of women as being highly emotional and being reactive whereas I feel the opposing stereotype of men is to be more rational or to presume that they're more rational. And so I find it curious that you and I have both mentioned fathers, as well as users on the New York Times mentioning fathers. But I would love to hear from listeners if your parents have different approaches based on their gender, or if you see any connections there. And Caroline, what do you think of this curious entanglement?
1: It's funny, because I didn't realized that initially when I was talking about my dad's daily routine. My mom also reads the newspaper. And I was thinking about recently when my mom texted me because she was watching the New Hampshire primary. And she texted me being like, Bernie Sanders, heart. And I was like, oh, that's so cute, mom. And I think if my dad texted me something similar, I'd have a similar reaction. And I do take my mom's political views seriously because they are more similar to my own than my dad's are. And yet I rarely discuss economic policy with my mom over my dad, which I do think has some sort of gendered implications, even though I don't think either of us can parse through this right now, but that had never crossed my mind. And that just speaks to how ingrained that might be.
0: Definitely. And another user said, I get my news by mainly two ways. One way I get the news is by hearing what my friends and family talk about many times if the news is big or affects their generation or age my friends will like to talk about it and if i had no idea what they were talking about they would usually enlighten me my family likes to talk about the news occasionally with me and sisters but only if it is pretty important and to me what that user brings up is not only the social aspect of discussing news but that there is a certain threshold of significance which I find very telling because larger news is often built upon what we deem as smaller stories. And the things we think happen suddenly or the wars that we think break out suddenly are built upon powder kegs of sorts of other information that we chose not to examine or that the media chose not to share with us because it wasn't explosive. And oftentimes, as you'll notice if you take careful looks at headlines, they focus on similar very stark very dramatic themes of death and love and triumph and defeat and imagery that evokes stark emotional states and that's something i would encourage listeners as well as you and i to be more wary of because what can appear to be more boring stories will often lead to the dramatic events that shape history And I feel as though people who can connect those dots will have a more firm grasp on the goings-on in our world.
1: And think about Flint, for example. That ordeal was going on for two years, and I'm sure it made the national news, but we didn't care until it was a full-blown, air quotes, crisis. And it was a crisis. I'm not trying to diminish it that way, but that is definitely the language the media would use as well.
0: And another important point of how we get our news is how the news shapes our perception and there are clear biases not only in how the media feeds information but in how individuals consume information and if all you've ever learned about a country like iraq for example is that it has a certain war-torn atmosphere which might be information you received through certain media outlets then if those outlets in the future give you similar information it will correspond with what you had previously learned And you will, on some instinctive level, agree because it matches with what you think you already knew based on what you were told by a source that, as one individual, you might not have the time or the energy to give a background check to. And so a final user that I will cite on that New York Times article said, I think that social media really affects how people see the world and feel about it and misleads them into fearing much more than there is to fear. I agree. There are very rarely news articles that uplift and give us hope because it isn't really the market for it. And that's something I would encourage listeners to think about because we are the consumers of this information and in voting with our wallets, so to speak, have the potential to shift certain news that is shared with us, which is not to say that, I don't want to hear more negative stories, but there is definitely an intricate relationship between how one feels about the world they live in and the information they've been given by various sources. I won't continue to overuse the term the media, but various sources that we engage with.
1: Which is why I think sites like Upworthy are very popular and appealing to people because it demonstrates in the media ways in which people are trying to be good or demonstrating flaws that are noteworthy. And yes, it is definitely liberal leaning, but people do crave that positivity and consuming media and journalism that makes them feel good about themselves rather than pointing to the poverty and hardships that people are facing that they can't really do anything about. So it's much easier to ignore them in that sense.
0: And before we close this episode, what are some things you want the audience to consider or reflect upon after listening to this discussion?
1: It didn't occur to me until a week ago when I thought about getting rid of my Facebook that that was the main way I consumed the news. And as I said earlier, that was interesting to me. I would really encourage our listeners to think about how you consume the news. How do you personally like to get your news. Maybe you don't like to get the news. Maybe you thrive on that and you need to read the whole newspaper every day. It doesn't necessarily have to say anything about you or your character, but it is interesting to think about how you interact with the news and therefore the world around you.
0: I agree. In relation to what we had brought up about gender, which you're absolutely right, we can't parse through at this moment and might take numerous conversations to even attempt. I'd be really curious to know if certain individuals are more partial to Either different genders of news reporters or people in their lives or specific voices, not even larger corporations. Are there news anchors that you trust or feel more attached to than others? I would also, in relation to this media diet that we've mentioned, encourage listeners to break from your routines. And if you consume a lot of journalism through Facebook sharing, Try being more proactive and seeking out certain articles that you may not have consumed otherwise or listening to certain friends whose posts you don't often click on and read through. And finally, I would urge everyone consuming media to be more patient and more reflective when consuming certain media because a shorter attention span on a number of levels can hinder, at least in my perspective, the public discourse that we all share and I don't think that leads us to more complex and worthwhile considerations. But that is only my perspective, and as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have opinions, thoughts, or feedback of any kind, please feel free to reach out to us. You can connect with us on Twitter or on Facebook,
1: where you can like our page and get updates for when we post new episodes.
0: You can also email us via strideandsauger at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show, as well as sharing it with others you think might enjoy or get something out of this conversation. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.
1: And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.